Welcome to our special edition of Bethel OKC Sunday morning, Valentine's Day, February 14th. You know, we are in the middle of a unprecedented snowstorm, a blizzard type storm that's supposed to be coming in today. At the time of this recording, it's not really here yet, but we know that you guys need space and time to prepare your families for what looks like a pretty crazy weather event. Um, and so that's why we were not having service today and also why we are not having online service as well. So we thought we'd do something different and just record the message this way and put it out there for those of you guys that wanted to hear. Next week, we're going to be diving into our what is church series again, and we're going to be getting into a lot of the specifics related to what constitutes a church service, what types of things have to be happening um, to create a biblical church service, and it should be really interesting. But today we're looking at marriage, and we're going to be sort of continuing a little bit of our conversation from last week just about some of the Greek word root meanings to these scriptures that cause us to view society in a specific way. I hope that last week's message on women and women in ministry was helpful for you. Um, You know, I got a lot of questions and feedback from people over this last week, and some of the questions were related to, you know, wondering how we got to this point, and at what point did people know this information was out there and deliberately choose to ignore it? And I wish those are questions that I could answer for you. I don't. I think there's a lot of different factors that have led us to a place where we continue to perpetuate misunderstandings, specifically about women. Um, But, you know, all we can do is work harder to reshape our future. We can't really change the past, but we can draw a line in the sand and move together forward, really bringing the kingdom of God into what God wants it to be, men and women together displaying his glory and his image on the earth. And I think one of the most important ways that we do that is through marriage, through biblical marriage. And and what I mean by biblical marriage is that God created marriage, right? Last week we talked about how when God created Adam, it was the only thing he created that wasn't good yet. It took Eve coming into the picture for God to say, okay, this is good. Why? Well, because there's something about a man and a woman coming together that completes the image of God that is really special to God's heart. But Here's an uncomfortable truth. Marriage exists for this world on the earth. It does not have really much of an eternal purpose. It has an eternal purpose from the standpoint that we bring children into the world and those children are eternal. But but think about it this way. Do you remember the Bible story in Mark chapter 12, 18, where the Sadducees come to Jesus and they begin to tell him this story about this woman who ended up being married to seven brothers and never produced any children? And this is an interesting story because in this culture, in this time period, when you got married to someone, if they passed away before you were given children, if you didn't have kids, then you would be given to the next brother in line. Because again, we were echoing this topic we talked about last week where women were essentially property. And so for this unfortunate woman, there's seven brothers. She ends up being married to all of them. They all die without her having any children. And so they said to him, whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? This is an interesting question, because if we're thinking about marriage from earthly terms, then when we get to heaven and everybody is now present, right, that there's no one dead anymore, we're all alive in Christ, and we're looking at each other and people are married to different people on the earth, and the Sadducees are trying to figure out, what do you do? Whose wife is this person? Do they actually belong to in heaven? This is Jesus' response in Mark chapter 12, verse 24, 
well, really verse 25, he says, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. As for the dead being raised, you've not read in the book of Moses, the passage about the bush, how God said to him, I'm the God of Abraham. And he goes on to have some other conversations about that. So we're neither going to marry nor be given in marriage in heaven. This is such an interesting concept because, and it's an uncomfortable one, but when we think about marriage, marriage serves a purpose on the earth. It does not really serve a purpose in heaven. On the earth, we are given in marriage. God created marriage so that the fullness of his image could be displayed. But in heaven, the fullness of his image is displayed. This is important for us to note because if you're single and you're thinking, I have to be married to accomplish some sort of thing, well, the truth is that no, you don't. I mean, it's great to be married. I encourage people to be married. But at the same time, you can live a very satisfying full life as a single person and and really not be missing much. That's just the truth. Marriage serves a purpose on the earth. On the earth, marriage is the covenant through which we bring children to the earth. And it's the way that we display God's glory, his image is a better way to say that. But when we get to heaven, there won't be marriage. So this should cause us to kind of step back and take a good hard look at marriage. So what I want to do is I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 32. And if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and pull that up. Ephesians chapter 5, 18 through 32. I'm going to read this to you from the ESV translation. And this is one of the most hotly contested scriptures specifically about marriage and the idea of women being submissive to their husbands. So before I read this, let me just say a couple things about godly marriage. We're going to explore what godly marriage looks like today. But in the American church, one of the things that we've accepted is this idea that godly marriage is that the man is the head of the home, meaning the man is in charge of the home, that the man is the spiritual leader of the home. And when we believe that, we also end up believing that women are incapable of leading their home or spiritually leading their home, both of which are actually not true and not biblical. Unity, what we're going to find is that unity between two spouses is the most important goal. Now, you may have heard these terms complementarian or egalitarian, and essentially what they mean is complementarian is someone who believes that women were designed to complement men and at some level be subservient to them because men were created first, man is the head, etc. We explored that last week. The egalitarian view, which is my personal view, is that women were created alongside of men and that Adam was given his command to go and fill the world and be fruitful after Eve came into the picture. That, yes, we are unique and we have unique roles before God and we are not the same. Male and female are not the same, but we are not... um, we're not marked by a hierarchy. We explored this in 1 Corinthians 11 last week where we talked about how this word head, Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman, is actually the word for source, meaning the created order. And so when we look at Ephesians 5, we we often see this verse where we're going to look at wives submit to your husbands as proof positive to this complementarian view. In other words, that Paul was really saying, that God is really saying, women, you were created second. You're not quite as important. Important. Oh, don't get me wrong, you're important, but you know, you do have a place, and your place is to serve a husband and everything that God has called him to do. And there's a lot of nuance and control in those statements. And and really, 
that's what we're exploring today. So let's dive in Ephesians chapter five. I hope you've had time to find it starting in verse 18. It says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Interesting caveat here. This word be filled is actually a command. This is not a suggestion. Hey, not a good idea to get drunk. Um, in fact, you know, it's probably better if you do like to get drunk to be filled with the spirit. No, this is actually saying do not get drunk with wine and be filled with the spirit. In other words, it's a command to live filled with the spirit of God. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where it gets interesting. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we're going to stop here for just a second because the following verses go on to explain the marriage dynamic. But often we forget that this first statement is actually saying, before we get into the specifics of your marriage, submit to one another. Submit to one another. In other words, God's instruction to married couples, the most important instruction is that we are mutually submitted to each other. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. Let's keep going. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and its and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So a couple of things that we get from this passage. Number one, this idea of marriage and this connected, unifying, uh, mutual submission thing is a picture of Jesus and his church, that the church has to choose to be submitted to Christ as the head. But here's where it gets interesting. Turn back with me to verse 22. This is the one where it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This word submit here is actually the word hippotasso. And this word means something along the lines of to come alongside. This is not an obedient statement. When we get to chapter six, the next chapter, Ephesians chapter six and verse one and verse five, we see this idea of submitting. It's talking to slaves and it's talking to children to submit to their master, submit to your parents. And that particular word is hippako, and it actually means obey. It is essentially like a command statement, obey. So it's interesting that Paul does not use that word to tell wives to submit to their husbands. In English, we only have one, one word for submit, right? And it, it, in the context is important for how we apply it. In verse 22, this instruction to women, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, is not a command to obey your husband. It's actually a charge to come alongside your husband and do it unto Jesus. 
This is huge because if you are familiar with the way that the greater church at large has used this scripture, it has horrible ramifications. I can tell you countless stories of women who were in abusive situations, be it uh, verbally, just like very badly verbally abusive situations with narcissists, all the way to physically abusive situations where pastors would counsel them to submit to their husbands because that's what makes that's what honors God. Look, this verse in verse 22 is not saying that. This is not a command to submit to your husband in full obedience to everything that they do. It's just not what it's saying. It's saying to come alongside of them to present a united front, to be a united front. This is completely different. And furthermore, when we go down this passage a little bit farther, we begin to see that Paul gives 47 words of instruction to women, but 143 words of instruction to men. In this time period in the Greek culture, again, we saw last week that women were really looked at as property And it was very common for men not to love their wives. In fact, if you found a man who loved his wife, genuinely loved her, I mean, this was a very, very rare thing. And so what Paul is doing here, what God is doing through Paul is instructing men to love your wives, not just to put up with them, not just to, you know, see them, to be kind to them, but actually to love them as you would love your own body. This is equally as as struggling. This I struggle with this just as much as this verse, women submit to your husbands, because to love someone as you love your own body, to love them as Christ loved the church is an almost impossible task. It is a task that can only be accomplished through submitting yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. And in the same way, for women, submitting and coming alongside of your husband is something that really in some days, on some situations, can only be done through coming into the presence of the Lord Jesus and allowing him to help us do that. I think the American church has gotten the picture of marriage just all wrong. In fact, in some parts of the American church, we just think marriage is irrelevant. You can have sex with anybody you want. It's just a sin like anything else, and it's not going to hurt you. And on the other side of the spectrum, we see marriage as sort of for women, indentured servanthood, uh, a means to an end to become a mother. And both of those sides of the spectrum are completely wrong. What God is looking for in a kingdom marriage are people who mutually submit to each other, who come alongside one another. We cannot neglect that this passage in Ephesians in verse 21 begins by saying, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. One thing you might find interesting is that in the entire New Testament, there is no biblical precedent for a husband to tell his wife, you are required to submit. This is interesting. And I don't know about in your marriage, if there's any joking like, you know, woman, you must submit to me. Well, that is completely unbiblical and wrong. God's charge to women individually is between the woman and her savior. It's between the woman and Jesus coming to a place of coming alongside of her husband, not because the man tells her to do it, but because she's coming in line with God. And in the same way, women, we don't really have an opportunity to command our husbands to love us. We have to command them. We have to encourage them to to listen to the command of Scripture and obey that. In other words, what we see in the picture of, of a godly marriage is two people submitting to Jesus as their Lord and letting him draw them together. This is just very, very significant. 
And it needs to shape us. It needs to change us. It needs to become the precedent in our marriages if we're going to get this right. This is so, so important. So let's talk just for a moment about women in ministry. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I know I mentioned last week that, you know, what do you do if you're a woman with a ministry calling and your husband does not have a ministry calling? Because if we look at these scriptures at face value from English only and we don't get into what they actually mean, then we can make the case that a woman really cannot be in ministry if her husband is not in ministry alongside of her. How do we do that? Well, we look at these scriptures like, the man is the head, um, women, you have to submit to your husbands. And although we've already gone through this, what happens is we have this picture of, well, if a woman is in ministry, then isn't it really her husband who is in charge of her? And so isn't the husband really in ministry? And again, if we're looking honestly at these scriptures, that's not what they're saying. So what do you do if you are a woman and you have a desire, a calling, let's let's just put it that way, you have a calling to be in ministry that your husband does not share? And we could make the same case for man if you, a husband, has a calling that his wife doesn't share. But I think we're a little bit more familiar with that and culturally we've allowed that to become sort of normal and it doesn't really bother people anymore. Well, if you are a woman and you have a ministry calling, you feel called to preach the word, to serve as a pastor in a different church, a specific church. You you have a calling to start a ministry. I don't know, whatever it would be that God would call you to. And your husband doesn't share that calling. The number one thing you need to have is unity. Again, verse 21, submit yourselves to one another. So what does unity look like? Unity is not the same thing as agreement. You know, you could say to your husband, ladies, look, I really feel like God is calling me to start this ministry to the homeless, for example. And I want to go out and I want to, you know, cook meals for them and pass out uh, warm clothing in the winter and, and socks and things like that. And your husband says, "Okay, that's an interesting idea. Well, what happens on a very practical basis is then you're not going to be as available at home as you were before you started that ministry. So being in unity together is not your husband just saying, oh, go do whatever you want. Sounds interesting. Good luck. It is your husband being willing and and open and um, really having a sense of calling in himself to maintain the home while you are doing those things. In other words, when we look into the First Timothy requirements for leadership in church-type ministry capacities, what we see is that the home is really important, that the kids are taken care of, that the, the helpers are taken care of, that the ecosystem of the home runs. And where we've gone off base is that we've assumed that's solely the woman's responsibility. And so because we assume that's solely the women's responsibility, then how can a woman have a ministry calling because it might conflict with what happens in the home? And this is what I want to say to you, ladies. Your husband needs to be in unity with you. Unity is not exactly the same thing as agreement or blessing. Unity means they're willing to come alongside and and pick up what you will have to lay down to pursue ministry. You might be saying, well, that's an impossible task. Well, listen, it's not. All over the nation, all over the world, there are women who are doing this. But what happens is when your husband just says, that's an interesting idea, go for it, but they don't really want to come alongside of you, 
then what ends up happening is strife comes into the marriage, strife and, and frustration and maybe even a little bit of resentment comes into the marriage and then things get off. And when the things in the home are off, the ministry will never flow like it's supposed to. So is it possible for a woman to have a ministry calling as a married woman with kids? Yes, it is. Even a calling that her husband doesn't share? Yes, it absolutely happens. But what you do with that calling absolutely is... is um, You've got to be honest about where you are in your season of life and what's going on in your home and really submit that to the Lord. This is why who you marry is so important. If you are single and you're listening to this and you're thinking someday I want to get married, look, marry someone who understands mutual submission. Because if you're a woman and you don't do that, it's going to be really hard to pursue. It could be, I should say it like this. It could be really hard for you to pursue a calling on your life. If you're a man, it could be really hard for you to pursue the callings that are on your life because you want somebody who thinks like you and who is 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 committed to having Jesus be their Lord first and foremost. When Jesus is the Lord, he will shape everything. You can be a Christian and not have Jesus be your Lord. In other words, you can acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, but not surrender your life to his lordship. And to have a great marriage, you've got to have two people doing that. So, okay, let's just take just a few moments to explore what a good marriage actually is. And we're going to kind of land on this. Uh, And what I mean by a good marriage is, look, first and foremost, again, mutual submission, respect, unity, that's the best thing that happens in a marriage. Some of us find ourselves in relationships where we got married to someone, maybe we weren't a believer at the time, maybe we were, but we were not thinking it was that big of a deal who we married, whatever the reason of how you ended up in the marriage that you're in, God can come and move and shape and do things that blow your mind with your relationship if it's not where you want it to be. One of the couples that I respect the most, they've been married, I think, like 40-something years, and I'll never forget, somebody asked them, what's the secret to a great marriage? And they, without missing a beat, he said, I love Jesus more than I love her. And she started laughing and she said, I would say the same. I love Jesus more than I love him. Why is that important? Because when we love Jesus and he truly is the the center of our life, he truly is the most important thing to us. God's leadership in our life gives us the strength to do the hard work of marriage, like forgiving moving forward, uh, making space for that person's humanity, making space for their flaws, making space for the challenges of the rhythms of life. We've got to be sold out to Jesus first. When we love Jesus first, loving one another is so much easier. Look, this brings us to point number two. Mutual submission is one of the most important things you can do in a good marriage. I was in a counseling session one time with Grant, and uh, this was, I don't know, years ago. I've probably told you guys this story before, but I don't think I was codependent. I've never really been much of a codependent person, but my picture of marriage was this sort of like two halves making a whole thing. And Grant is fiercely independent. He's a very private person. He's like... um he just doesn't think a lot about emotions. He's just sort of like a, a steady rock moving forward through the things that God has called him to do. And I I just felt like, you know, I felt like I was knocking on the door of his life trying to be let in. And not that he was pushing me out, but my perspective of what it mean, meant to be let in just was this specific image of something that I think I ended up learning was not true. 
So we're in this counseling session and I'm just sort of lamenting, you know, I feel like I'm on the outside. I can't, I can't get in. I don't know how to break into that. And, and, uh, the counselor just lovingly began to explain to me, he said, look, it sounds to me like you want to be your picture of a great marriage is the two of you on this boat, one of you holding each side of a big captain's wheel, you know, like a pirate ship with a big wooden wheel. It's like you have your hand on one side of the wheel. He has his hand on the other side of the wheel and you guys are sailing off into the sunset. And I said, yes, that's exactly what I want. And he looked at me and he said, unfortunately, that's not biblical marriage. He said, it's not that two halves make a whole. It's that two holes submitted to God come together in parallel lives. And I'm like, what are you saying? And Grant's going, yes, that's exactly how I feel. And he began to say, the picture of godly marriage is not two people holding one side of the captain's wheel. It's two boats, two separate boats, you at your wheel, him at his wheel, sailing in tandem down the river towards the sunset. I thought to myself, that sounds completely miserable. I don't want that. I'm going to be constantly trying to, you know, harpoon myself over to his boat or something because I don't want to be in my own boat. What happened as I began to go down that road with the Lord was I began to realize how much of my life, how much of my insecurities, how much of my need to feel loved was clouding my view of who I was in God. And I was continually trying to put my husband in the place of meeting these needs that are really designed to be met by God alone. The wounds of my heart, the, the challenges I had faced, this desire in myself to, be, to feel this certain way, what I realized was that is not the picture of romance. That's the picture of a wounded person needing an encounter with God. And as I got free, as I got healed, as I got whole, I didn't want Grant in my boat anymore. I wanted to be two boats sailing in tandem down the sunset. Now, I know to some of you guys that might sound like bliss, and to others hearing this, that probably sounds incredibly painful. And listen, this is what you need to understand. Marriage serves a purpose on the earth, but it is not eternal. This is why when we covenant ourselves to someone in marriage, we often say these words, till death do us part. Because when one person dies, that's the end of this particular type of covenant. When we are in heaven, we will not be married. Now, you know, my husband and I, we, we regularly joke that we hope God puts our two houses next to each other on the same street. It's not that it's not to say that you don't love your spouse, that you don't want to be with them, that that feeling that I want to be with you forever shouldn't be there. That's good. That's love. That's covenant. But we also have to realize that in God, we are complete. In Christ, we lack nothing. And so no matter where your marriage is today, no matter what's going on in your marriage, no matter how difficult it is, you in and of yourself have everything you need in Christ. Through him as your Lord, you can do this. So we need to love one another, but we need to love Jesus first right? That's the way that we have a good marriage. The second thing is that we need to be mutually submitted to each other. This means that in different seasons of life, we're honest about the toll that it takes. Uh, you know, when Grant and I met, we were 20 years, actually, we were 18 years old. We didn't start dating until we were about 20. Both of us had crazy dreams for what we wanted to do with our lives. We got married and I became a mom at 24. 
And in that moment, I realized something's going to give because I can't be a mother and go do all the dreams that are in my heart. And in different seasons of life, we, we take on different roles for the sake of the family, and that's good. And so what we have to do in being mutually submitted is come back to the place every year or two and say, okay, where have we evolved from as a family? For example, when you've got, you know, my kids, my first three were born four, within four years of each other. So when Jack was born, Callie was 17 months old and Eli had just turned four. And so we had a very chaotic life. I very rarely left the house. This is the season I always talk about when God met me at doing the dishes and washing the bottles. This is, it was a very hard time, physically demanding time. And our life was very narrow and that's okay because that's what that season required of us to be mutually submitted meant that we both look at the demands of life and we choose what we're going to do. And yes, I took on a lot more of the housework type stuff because I was at home. Does that mean that I have to be, you know, as a woman, my job is to be this domestic subservient person? Not necessarily. If that's your calling, then amazing. For me, it wasn't my calling, but it was what it took to be mutually submitted in that season. I hope this makes sense to you. As our kids have grown, we've had other conversations about what does it look like in this season to be mutually submitted to each other. That's what you have to do. It doesn't matter if you've been married a year, five years, 20 years, 50 years. This is a conversation that you need to be having. What does it look like for us to be mutually submitted, being whole before God and going after the things God has asked us to do in this season? The last thing I want to share with you guys today about a godly marriage, and look, I know we could talk about this for hours on end, but I just want to talk about forgiving often forgiving often. Look, godly marriages, great marriages forgive often. Why? Because we have been forgiven. That's just the truth. There's been days where at the end of some of our intense fellowships, uh, I'll look at my husband and say, look, I don't want to forgive you, but I am going to forgive you because Jesus tells me to do it. (laughs) Why? Because Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is the director of my life. Jesus is the most important thing to me. And if he tells me something is good for me, I need to do it even if I don't want to. It is good for your heart to forgive. How do you forgive? Well, listen, when you forgive, you have to make peace. You have to resolve the thing that you're forgiving. It cannot keep creeping up in future arguments or else you haven't really forgiven. And this is hard when it comes to marriage, right? Because you've intertwined your life with someone who is an imperfect person. And so it's really hard to, to be like, look, you you always do this. And I know you're going to do this the next time that this comes up. How do you forgive? Well, a couple of tools you might find interesting. The first one is ask God to give you some insight into why this keeps happening. Sometimes the insight might be about you. So just be ready for him to put his finger wherever he wants to put his finger. It might be your wound, not your spouse's. But ask God for some insight. Lord, why is this happening? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you, why does this bother me so badly? And then ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to extend grace to an imperfect person in the same way that Jesus has extended grace to you. Look, I'm not trying to tell you this is easy. I'm trying to tell you that it's worth it. It is worth it to go to the hard places in our marriage. Years ago, I remember uh, in this two-boat season of life where I was trying to be comfortable in my own boat, 
I remember just saying to the Lord one night as I went to bed in, in disappointment, um, just with life, you know, and I said, God, I don't understand why you even told me to get married if it was going to be this difficult. And I remember the Lord saying to me, what if I became your husband? And I said, no, Jesus, I don't want you to be my husband. I want you to be my God. And you gave me a husband. I want you to fix that one. And, uh, she didn't take too kindly to that. And Jesus began to just show me, look, the needs that you're putting onto your spouse, I want to meet those needs. Would you let me meet those needs for you? Would you let him off of the hook so that you can see him as who I created him to be? And it took so much courage. It took several days of contemplation to say, okay, yes, God, I will let you do that. And you know what happened? Over time, I began to see my husband in a completely different light. I began to see him as, as who he is in God. And the things that I was almost demanding for him to do for me, to make me feel loved, to heal my wounds, whatever, I realized that he would never be able to do those things. And that wasn't a sad feeling. It was actually the most empowering feeling of freedom. You don't exist to be God to me. You don't exist to heal all my wounds. You don't exist to complete me. You exist to run with me on this race towards Jesus. What does it look like to forgive often for you? What does it look like for you to extend grace in the same way that grace has been extended to you? So when we look at marriage, what we look at is two people choosing to mutually submit to one another as unto the Lord, that God becomes first in that home and God's way becomes the way that you do things. And when we do that, we actually receive so much blessing from the Lord, joy, peace, purity, there's kindness flowing, there's honor happening. It's such a beautiful way to live. Is it hard to get there? Absolutely. But it is so worth it. Let me just leave you with this thought. It's the tagline to one of my favorite books. It's called Sacred Marriage. There's two books called Sacred Marriage out there. Um, this one has a green cover, and this is what it says. What if marriage was not for happiness, but for wholeness? What if marriage was not for happiness, but for wholeness? The whole idea of the book is that if marriage doesn't exist in heaven, then what does it do on the earth? Well, it makes us more like Jesus. Some of you guys are probably listening to this and saying, yes, my marriage makes me a lot more like Jesus, especially in the season that I'm in right now. Look, that's okay. When you're single in the book, Gary Thomas puts it like this. You look at yourself in the mirror when you're single and you get to decide what you want to work on, right? Well, I might need to work on my style, you know, and the type of shoes I wear, but I'm not going to worry about that right now. I'm going to work on, on how I do my hair. In a marriage, your spouse becomes the mirror. And through the nature of being in life with them, of, of being in friction moments with them, we realize what has to be worked on. And that is such a beautiful and painful, but beautiful process because marriage, I believe, is not just for happiness. It really is for wholeness, that we become more like Jesus through being in partnership with your spouse. So this is my challenge to you, my prayer for you, is that your marriage would reflect the atmosphere of heaven, that it would be one where you are able to be mutually submitted to one another because Jesus is your Lord first and you practice forgiveness often. I was talking to some friends lately who uh, have been married for, I don't know, I think like 50 years, 40 something, 50 years. And uh, they were talking about a younger couple and saying, you know, I looked at my spouse and said, man, aren't you glad we've settled all those issues and we can just enjoy life together? 
And I looked at Grant when I heard that and I said, that's how I want to be. And and really after almost 17 years of marriage, I think we're almost there. That a lot of the, the small things, you make peace with them, you resolve them, and you begin to see your spouse as who God created them to be. And so much freedom and liberty and passion and joy comes in that place. And I believe that's what God created marriage for, to be a reflection of his goodness on the earth. As believers, our marriages should be so good that the world looks and says, how do you get that? And we look back and say, it only happens because Jesus is at the head of this relationship, not just the source of it, but he's also our Lord. So that's where we're going to land today. Let me just pray over you, pray over your marriage. And I'm going to pray over you guys that are single as well, that are looking for a spouse, that God would lead you to the perfect partner for you. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that for those that are single and looking for a wife or looking for a husband, God, that you would direct their steps to that person for them. Lord, would you give them the confidence to not settle for someone, the first person that comes around? God, would you give them the wisdom to know what to look for and the discernment to see the red flags that might be there? Father, we want people to enter into marriages where they are evenly and equally yoked with someone who is like-minded, interested, and being a disciple of you all the days of their life. Father, we bless those that are single to come into relationships like that in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for the marriages that are listening to this right now. God, I pray that your presence would be on both of them, that your healing would be released on each, on the husband and the wife, that they would come into complete wholeness in you and be able to extend grace and love to one another. Father, I pray that the days ahead would be the best days of their marriage, that you would bring them into a time of learning how to be more like you as a wife, more like you as a husband, and more like you as a pair mutually submitted to one another. Lord, I pray that the words of your scriptures would be illuminated to these couples as they go farther and deeper into your presence together and with their family. God, we pray that there would be revivals that break out in our homes that start between husbands and wives, getting passionate about the things of God. Lord, we pray for women to be liberated, to know that they are, are you know, inspired to submit and, and come alongside their husbands because it is a, a way they reflect being under your lordship. And Father, for husbands, I pray that there would, they would be inspired to love their wives as you love the church, which is to give your life up for them, to lay your life down for them. Father, I pray for blessing and increase over these marriages that they would be truly set apart for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for listening to this special edition of our Bethel OKC Sermon Podcast. I hope you guys will join us next week in person or online as we get into the weeds a little bit on our What is Church series. It's going to be pretty interesting. I think you're going to like it. All right, you guys, we will see you next week. <laughs>